morning. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Matthew chapter 4 today. So today we see Jesus calling the disciples. And so the message today is called Jesus Calling. Everybody say Jesus Calling. And I realize that as we, we think of the call of God, I realize in here that some of you um, have responded to a call of God in your life. Others, maybe, maybe you're in here this morning and, and you haven't yet responded to the call of God in your lives. By the grace of God, when God originally called me, I think that, that I didn't respond and I didn't immediately, as we're going to read in this chapter, follow God. But by the grace of God and by the love of God in my life, God gave me another opportunity to respond to the gospel. And at 20 years old, with the second or third or fourth calling, I responded and I left everything and I began to follow Jesus. And so we hope that, that wherever you are in here this morning and wherever this message finds you in some place, that you'll just get an opportunity to respond to the call of God and the call of Jesus in your life, whatever that is. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while and God calling you into some ministry, calling you to step out into some area of service. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to step up in your home, step up in your family, in your life. Do you guys remember? Um, do you guys remember? That's funny. I even have to say that. I grew up in a day when we still had telephones in the house. They had these things called cords and wires that you had to have them plugged into the wall and no such thing as cell phones. So if anybody knows anything about my, my testimony, I, I have seven brothers and sisters, not all in the house at the same time, but my house was always crazy. Friends over, people there, all kinds of stuff going on. One phone. And, and can you guys remember the days of call waiting? How cool was that? No more busy signals, you know, like beep, beep. Hold on, I got another call. You know, you thought you were cool with that, right? And so in my house, you know, all a bunch of teenagers and older and younger siblings and the phone rings in the middle of the living room. And it's like this mad dash from every part of my house of all the kids trying to get there first and hope that it's for them. But my older brother, Darren, he, he always beat us to the phone. And he would, and everybody would run around and he would grab the phone and he'd say, hello. And you're just saying, like, I hope it's for me. Like, he has to hand it to me. Like, yeah, that's right, y'all. It's for me, you know. But so my brother would pick up the phone. He'd say, hello. And then whoever it was for, he'd look right at him. So if it was for me, he'd look at me and go, they'd say, is Chris there? And he'd go, nope, but thanks for asking. And he would hang up on him. And, and he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And so every time D answered the phone, he'd, he'd pick up the phone. Next thing you'd hear, nope, but thanks for asking. And he'd hang up. So it's, it's always become kind of an inside joke in our family. Nope, but thanks for asking. One time I was at a gas station with the boys and this homeless guy or something comes up to me and he asked me for change. I don't know where it came from. It's just, I'd said it so many times in my life. I just, he's like, could you spare any change? And I said, nope, but thanks for asking. <laughs> and my boys were with me. I don't remember if it was Nate or Caleb or they were so embarrassed. They're like, dad, why'd you say that to him? That was mean. I was like, you're right. Let's go give him some money, you know? And, um, but I'll never forget that. Nope, but thanks for asking. So hopefully when Jesus calls, uh, Pastor D don't answer the phone and tell him, nope, the thanks for asking. And we'll see and we'll hear the call of God today. One of the things I want to encourage us with through the message today is that God's call upon us is, is covered in the promises of God, covered in the trust of God. And, and the bottom line in the call of God is that if, you know, if, if Jesus comes in these story, Peter and these guys, they have careers, they have lives. And Jesus basically tells them, drop everything that you know today, right now, and follow me. Well, well in order to do that, you'd need to be able to trust who you were following. 
And I don't think that Peter and Andrew and those guys had the luxury that you and I have of having all the information before we get to make the choice. But as you go through the calls of God in the New Testament, there are so many. Just just look it up and think of things where Jesus said, follow me and called us and, and then all the promises that go with them. And so as we get to that, I want to I kind of go through some of the New Testament. I'm hoping it's going to be really encouraging. And, and it's going to send a message first that you can trust Jesus in your life. Somebody say amen. And, and, and it's so powerful when you start putting them together in so many different ways that you see that as Jesus comes calling, that you can absolutely trust him. I think as I look around the room, I, I think people are probably in their own mind thinking of your own personal problem right now. Yeah, but what about this? And well, what, what about, you know, my situation with this relationship and that thing and, and this job and that, that call and this frustration and this bill and boo-hoo. Jesus, you can trust Jesus, I'm here to tell you today. And not only am I here to tell you today, but I'm going to encourage you. I want to show you in the word of God where, where we can absolutely trust Jesus. So we're going to get to the Jesus calling, hopefully not um, in the last minute of the message. And then I jam through it because we got a few things we got to get to before there. But if we're going to pick up, if I draw your attention to verse number 11, where we left off last week, Jesus was being um, tempted by Satan. And where we've been as church is really following the progression of Jesus through his temptation and and the key factors. You know, Jesus lived a perfect sinful life for 30 years. He was a carpenter and and no miracles and no no public um, ministry, just very humble, normal life, abiding by the law of Moses perfectly until he was 30 years old when, according to Jewish culture and custom, he could then become a man and a rabbi. And at 30 years old, he went and he was water baptized by John the Baptist. And as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and remained upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So Jesus, water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, testified by the Father, is then led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then um, Satan began to tempt him with the three temptations. And as we looked at last week, Jesus, um, he used the word of God. And again, not just um, memorization of the word. You know, we see Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And not just to the point where, you know, the devil comes. Listen, the devil's not afraid of the word of God. He's not afraid of you quoting the word of God. And the point that we made last week was that Jesus stood on the word of God. That Jesus was saying, no, listen, it's written in the word and you can believe it. And you can live by it. And you can trust it. And you can do it. You know, if you know the verse that says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that verse where you're sitting at the bar throwing them back? You know the verse, but, but to know the verse or quote the verse doesn't keep you from being disobedient and not doing it. You have to stand on the verse. You have to walk in the verse. And that's what Jesus does through the temptations of Christ in those three temptations where, yes, the message is it's the word of God. It's the word of God because it's so cool, right, that Jesus defeated Satan three times by saying it is written, it is written, it is written. But again, understanding that it's not lip service and it's, it's actually standing upon the word of God. And then it says in verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And in verse 12, it says, now when Jesus had, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. But wait a minute, wrong direction here, Jesus. Hello. What? 
your, your homie, your, 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 your right-hand man, John the Baptist, who you say is, of all the people in the, in the kingdom, John is the greatest. And now he's thrown in prison and you turn your back to the direction he is and you head the other way. And we see Jesus here in this move that seems like, why didn't you do something to help John? But really, you know, one of the things that happens and something we've been unpacking here in church a lot is that as we mature in our Christian life, this is something that, that we learn in, in, in maturity. And it's harder when we're new believers and it takes seasons. It takes basically birthdays. You can't just get this. It takes birthdays to, to, to absorb it into your life. But I guess the, the easiest way to explain it is, I don't know if I should call it good news or bad news. I guess I'll call it good news. You ready? The world don't revolve around you. One more. You're not the center of the universe. But Jesus is. God's will is. God's plan for your life is. And, and when we're young and, and we go through something hard, we, we have this attitude, why God? Why God? Almost like, it's about you. But, but, but just check this out. Even in John's case, Jesus let this dude, his best friend, like his cousin, his first cousin, somebody who Jesus really adored from his own mouth, sit in this prison by the will of God. And, and you know, th- this why, 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 why? You, you know, check this one out. There's a guy in the Bible talks about a paralytic. He's born paralyzed. He's got a rough life. I mean, it's bad. Like he's, he, he, you know, he's crippled and he's not, not healthy and things are not well in his life. And we wouldn't wish that on anybody or want that for anybody, right? Definitely not for ourselves. And, and the Pharisees come and they see this guy and they say, Jesus, why is he like that? Who sinned, him or his parents? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, neither, neither one sinned, neither him nor his parents, but that God might be glorified through his life. But you're like, how fair is that? This guy has to live as a paralytic so that God can receive glory? No, thanks. That's not right, God. That's not fair, God. It's almost the way you feel, right? Kind of a tendency. And, and, and as we mature in our walk, we, we do have to get to that point where if God called you to live as a paralytic so that he might receive the glory and so that he'll be glorified, would you do it? Would you say yes and amen? Let me ask you a quick question about that paralytic. Where is he right now? What's he doing right now? Do you think he cares? Do you think he's bummed out? Dude, I, I'll bet you like those guys that had to do that for, so that God might be glorified. I think it's going to be pretty fair in heaven, except for those guys. They're going to be all yoked out. You know, they're going to have six pack, you know, like that. God's going to hook them up and they're going to stand out. And he's, you know, he's, he's for that time of his life compared to where he's been for the last 2000 years of enjoying the presence of Jesus and can say in heaven for all of eternity that his life was to bring glory to God. And and that concept, you guys, that concept of, of part of life, it's not about us. It doesn't revolve around us. Like we're cool because we realize that we're here for a short time. And and if our life is to bring glory to God, because it's going to tell a picture when, when somebody gets to look back on it and a faithfulness and a, and an ability to, to, to love God. Amen. Amen. So, um, so Jesus leaves John in prison. Now you think, okay, he left him in prison right now, but, but pretty soon Jesus is going to go rescue him, right? Does Jesus go and rescue John? John's going to lose his head in that prison. They're going to come and cut his head off. Now, now John, even the apostle John, I mean, not, not the apostle John, I'm sorry, the John the Baptist, 
even he gets discouraged in this situation. So discouragement comes in our, in our life and in our walk. And, and John, at the, at the end, he finally sends a message to Jesus. And he's like, are, are you the one or should we look for another? Now, 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 don't get it twisted. Like, he was discouraged, and those were his words. But John knew Jesus was the one. It wasn't that long ago that John witnessed the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove and alighting upon Jesus. He heard an audible voice from heaven. He knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus was the one. But he was discouraged and he said, he sent this word and he said, and basically John still had that Old Testament um, concept of Messiah. To to the Old Testament folks, Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and set up his kingdom. And that's what John said. When are you going to do it? When are you going to get me out of this prison? When are you going to overthrow this Roman government and set up your kingdom here on earth? And let's get on with it. But he didn't. And for the glory of God, John died and, 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 um, Herod has John beheaded in that prison. And so, um, so in verse 13, it says, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in, in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, a quick side note here, you guys. Um, one thing I want to point out as we go through this, and I want to encourage us as a church family that, that we're reading in the gospel of Matthew together as a church family. It'll help you. It'll help me. If you read ahead, if you stay ahead, if you stay versed on what's going on in the gospel of Matthew, I want you to do that in addition to whatever your daily reading schedule is, whatever your track that you're on for reading your Bible every day and praying. Um, in addition to that, reading through um, Matthew. But as you do, I just want to note that the, the, the gospel of Matthew is not written in chronological order. So we read it and we think that everything happened A, B, C, D, E, but it's not necessarily that way. And so if you're like, you know, most of us like things in chronological order. They have a Bible that's called a chronological abridged New Testament. Like, and if that's the way you like to unpack things, I couldn't read it. It was like, I don't necessarily recommend reading an abridged chronological, but it, it was difficult. But anyways, maybe just for me, I'm slower than you guys, but... Um, but you can get that. But here we don't see these events necessarily right in order. And then, um, so it says he left Nazareth and he came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a place that sits upon the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee biblically goes by a lot of different names. Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, but we call it a sea. And, and the, Gal- or the Capernaum region is beautiful. That's beautiful. We used to do um, some of our teachings on our Israel tour, and we have another one coming up. And, and so we spend lots of time, three days around the Galilee and doing stuff around there. And um, there, the area where we used to do some of our teachings that we, we can't get down there anymore because it's below sea level and it's near the, the Sea of Galilee, but it's all banana. Um, what are bananas? Groves? <laughs> banana groves? Is that? No, nobody? Banana trees? Banana <laughs> trees? So anyways, they're growing bananas down there and you can, you know, you need a tropical climate to grow bananas. And so, you know, they have all this agriculture going on, but it's just a beautiful place, Capernaum there. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful. We swam in it while we were there. Me and a couple of the guys snuck off one day in the evening. It went, it was a little chilly, but it was cool just to go swimming in the Sea of Galilee. We all tried to walk on it. It didn't work for any of us. Um, We skipped rocks on it, but just a beautiful place. And Jesus set up his headquarters in Capernaum. So as we go through the gospels, you're going to hear Capernaum. And when you hear Capernaum, that's like Jesus's, like his home, his home spot. That's where he started from. And he launched from there and then he'd go back there. And it was that area around the Galilee where Peter lived, where Andrew lived, where John lived, where a lot of the um, apostles lived. There's a place uh, right there in that area in Capernaum 
And they found some inscriptions, I think, with Peter's name on it or something. And so, um, and, and what happens in Israel is every time they find something that's like a holy site through the years, like the, the, somebody's idea is you've got to build a church on it. So, so over Peter's house, so you see the ruins, and they didn't want to like put them on top. So they built this church on stilts. It's a round-shaped church. It's the weirdest thing ever. And underneath there, you see all these ruins where Peter's house was. And, and if that's not his actual house, it would have been definitely in that vicinity somewhere because Peter would have, would have lived in that area of Capernaum. So this is where Jesus is on the north side of the Galilee. And then it says, um, you know, Ma- uh, Matthew's audience was Jewish and primarily Jewish. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience. So some of us, it doesn't make sense. But he says, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so those are the two tribes that when Joshua and the 12 tribes split up that they would have... Um, shared that that area and that region. And then it says in verse 14 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Who's a great light? Come on, y'all. Jesus. Uh, that's your cue. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Turn with you real, real quick to Isaiah 9. Or hang out there and I'll be right back. And I just want to kind of take a little bit of a rabbit trail. Um, In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more, more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah 9. And and I think, you know, in this time, right, the Gospel of Matthew, as this is happening live, as Jesus is there in Capernaum um, fulfilling this prophecy of Isaiah 9, they didn't have the luxury of having the Gospel of Matthew. But, But what's so cool is that Matthew ties you and I back to this verse and if we just read Isaiah 9, if you guys just read, you know, take somebody who doesn't know and have them read Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 and say, what's that about? How is that prophecy fulfilled? Well, I don't know. Then you could take them to Matthew. You go, let me show you. Let me show you where, where, where this prophecy of Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus lived, is fulfilled to a T where Jesus enters Capernaum. And, and all of these different prophecies in Jesus's life of the Old Testament are, are, are being in the life of Jesus. Now, if you go on to verse six of chapter nine, everybody knows that's a messianic prophecy, right? That's like one of the most famous messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom and to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I love that. So we see here um, back in Matthew that this, this prophecy of Isaiah nine being fulfilled and that Jesus comes in and um, the, the area there, Josephus is a, is a Jewish historian who was secular, wasn't a believer. um, 
And he was kind of a traitor, Josephus was, because he, he worked for the Romans and wrote for the Romans, and he was a, ended up being a, a governor over an area. But a lot of the records that we have around the time of Jesus come from this historian named Josephus. So you'll hear him quoted often. But according to jo- Josephus, this area would have been possibly 1.5 million to about 3 million people. He said there were 205 villages around this, the, the region of Galilee there, Capernaum, with about 50. 15,000 people in a meet show, big population of people that were there. And in verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, somebody, come on, that's it. You guys definitely don't go stand out in the corner with a bullhorn, repent. Nobody can listen to you with that. Yeah, repent, turn or burn, you're going to hell. No, don't do that. Don't do that. But Jesus, listen, I, I want to point out that this is, do you guys have red letter Bibles? Now, uh, now, taking out Jesus talking to Satan in the last chapter, this is the first recorded words of Jesus in his public ministry. So, so what did I do? Immediately I went to the other gospels to see if that was consistent in the other, other gospels. You go to Mark and the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark in his public ministry are repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke and John don't record it that way. But without a doubt, from Matthew and Luke, we have the first recorded words, the first words that Jesus publicly spoke as he spoke to his first public gathering, and his message was to repent. So, so the message of repent is so Jesus. It's so necessary. For every one of us, we, we have to come to a point in our lives where we repent. Now, as far as repentance go, we repent one time unto salvation And we repent the rest of our lives unto sanctification. So we're constantly being sanctified. We're constantly being, sanctification is the process by which we we become more like Jesus. Sanctification is something that you'll be doing your whole life. Now, repentance and salvation, you only need to get saved one time. You know, maybe some of us have had experiences where you go to churches and every Sunday you have to go up and get saved again every Sunday. And, you know, maybe you sinned or something happened and you're not sure if you're saved. And so the next week you go up and and you get saved again. You you don't need to do it. You just get saved one time. John said you can know that you know that you know you're saved. You repent once unto salvation and for the rest of your life unto sanctification. But the concept of repent is so important. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that in the area of repentance and confession, it should be like a a conduit um, that's open to God in your life. Meaning that, you know, rather than than wait till you just curl up in bed at night and then think about the things that you want to confess and repent of, you know, God, forgive me that I ate those donuts and God, forgive me that I, I went back and I had some more and, you know, or whatever. I had that lustful thought and, and I was angry and I, and I was sinful and I was, you know, the things in your life that, that cause separation. And basically you're agreeing with God and his word that, that those actions that you're guilty of, that they, they create separation between you and God. And, and that's what confessing is. That's what thing is it's, it's saying, God, you're right. God, your word is true. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to continue in those actions. Will you help me? And repentance can become a difficult thing. You know, sometimes I beg God for repentance and, and, and I'm just not broken. I'm just, my heart is not really broken over my sin and I want to be, and I just haven't got there yet. And so sometimes I think it's a work of the spirit. Oftentimes for me, it happens in worship. You guys ever see me up here booing and worship? Sometimes it's because I'm repenting and I'm broken and I'm just, and God has finally broke through and I have a real heartfelt repentance before God. 
You know, David set the example for repentance and what it means to repent as a Christian. David laid it out. God used David's life so beautifully to show us and to illustrate for us a picture of true repentance. You know, one of the things about King David, you guys, right? He had so many terrible sins. And sometimes you look at his life and you just put it all together and you're like, ugh. Like, dude, you're a murderer. You're an adulteress. You pride. Your hands so bloody you can't build the house of God. And, like, and yet God says of King David, he's a man after my own heart. Right? But, but because David really to the core, to the heart, not fake. You can't fake it. To the heart, David was broken over those sins. He really repented and God forgave him. Even though his sins were egregious. God forgave him because David repented. And he said, search me, oh God. Know my heart. See if there's any wickedness in there that I don't even know and pull it out, God. Create in me, God, a clean heart that I might worship you, that I might serve you. And, and David said, you know, as a deer pants for water, oh, doth my soul pant for thee, oh God. Where does that come from? <laughs> David, this stuff's just coming out of his soul, you know, as he's, as he's connecting to God in this in this moment of true repentance and so you know psalm 51 you can look it up but really in our lives as christians we have to repent we we want to daily repent if you've never repented of your sins then unto salvation we're going to give you that opportunity today too And, and if you don't know that you know that you know you're a christian then the first time you repent and you say god i'm a sinner and i need a savior and i want to be born again and i want to have my sins forgiven and i want to ask jesus into my life to be my lord to be my god to be my savior and so Jesus' message of repent, guess what happens to Jesus' message of repent? Well, obviously, Peter and, and, and the rest and Paul and the people that Jesus trained, they picked up on it and they got it. And what, what becomes Peter's message as he's preaching through the, the book of Acts? You're not sure? Let me ask this again. What was Peter's message as he was preaching through the book of Acts? Repent. I mean, he's at Pentecost and the people are ready to give their lives to God. 3,000 people are getting ready to come forward. People are speaking in strange tongues. And Peter's message is repent and believe. And you'll see that added a lot as, 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 the, as the gospels go on, as the uh, epistles go on, where it's repent and believe, repent and believe. And, and, and Paul, his message, repent, repent and believe. Paul's in jail in, in Philippi. And the Philippian jailer has a sword and he's putting it at his gut and he's getting ready to kill himself, right? And, and, the, and Paul says, stop, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. And the Philippian jailer says, Paul, what must I do to be saved? What does Paul say? Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Amen? Last repent and then we'll move on. Jesus personally writes a letter to the seven churches and seven church ages in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3. They're a report card. It's something that as a church, we, we should probably pay close attention to because Jesus has these seven different churches that he's going, he sends a report card to. And, and so for us who have hindsight, we can look at those and go, hey, they got an A in this area. When they do this, let's do that. They got an F in this area. Let's not do that. But to the seven churches, some of them he had nothing good to say. All bad grades. To some of the churches, one of the churches only, he had only good to say. But the majority of the churches, he had some good grades and some bad grades, some good stuff and some bad stuff. But to all seven churches, one message remained the same wherever they fell. And we want to take a wild, crazy guess what that one message was that remained in all seven churches. Repent, 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 repent. So it's biblical, you guys. It's Jesus. So get her done, huh? And then we go on and it says, um, 
in verse 18, and really the heart of the message, you guys, what I wanted to share with you guys today is that, again, where we, where we find ourselves now in Jesus calling. Um, and so, speak, I, I don't know, I just, I'm sorry, I saw a squirrel. Um, <laughs> well, I, was, I was thinking back to my phone. You know, what you, I don't know if you guys are my age, I'm 27, but... Um, <laughs> You guys ever do prank calls on the old phones? You know, you can't do them on your cell phone. I guess the kids, maybe the kids still try to do them, but we used to have fun with the prank calls too on the phones. And then it came up with star 69. So if you prank called the wrong person, then you'd hang up and your phone would ring right back because they could do star 69. And then it came up with a, like a something to block star 69 so you could go back to prank calling people again. And, you know, we'd say, uh, hello, this is uh, George from Roto-Rooter. Is your refrigerator running? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you better catch it because it just ran down my street. <laughs> and we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And we hang up. All right. No prank calling. No. Nope. But thanks for asking calling. This is about Jesus calling. And so we see the disciples. I want to point out one thing before we get to verse 18. Um, Matthew doesn't record for us. But in the other gospels, it records that Jesus prayed all night before he selected his twelve. And the crazy thing was the 12 that Jesus selected was a pretty ragtag bunch of people, you know, and, and, and a lot of them uneducated, a lot of them, you know, backwards and, and rough people. And, you know, today by today, he would have picked plumbers and electricians and construction workers and, and tax accountants and, you know, a whole eclectic group of, of, of men. But Jesus prayed all night before he chose this 12. And so, you know, some people say when the disciples start doing like crazy stuff, you know, and, and, and three years later, after Jesus spent three years with them and poured his heart and his life about them loving and being other centered at the very end, you think they'd get it. And they're having one last fight before Jesus dies on the cross. Which one of them's the greatest? Like you knuckleheads. Like, you know, you think at that point, like what happened? Well, did, did, did Jesus blow that prayer that he spent all night praying and he ended up with 12 of the wrong guys. Or, or maybe that's what Jesus prayed for. Maybe he wanted to work with those 12 to send a message that he can work with these 12. That he can work with us. That he can work with me. That he can work with you. That, 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 that God can, can use things that are available. And the best ability is availability, right, as we step out. And so God chooses these 12. But he prayed all night from, from, to the Father. And, and um, it says in verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, listen, the first thing here, Jesus said, I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. The call of God on their lives was to go and, 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 and fish for men. And Jesus said, I will make you. Now, you know, even in our, our group right now, our men's discipleship group, God's doing some cool stuff in some of the guys' lives and hearts. And, you know, we've been challenging people to step out and start doing ministry here and start helping us out. And, and, and people are really responding and really wanting to get involved. And, you know, one of the questions that, that comes up, it's come up twice and, and multiple times very recently. Like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I'm, what, but what do I do? Like, I want to step out in a gift of teaching. I want to step out in a gift of this. But how do I get there? How do I, you know, what is the process? Is it a, you know, a 12-step process? Is, do I go to this Bible study? Do I do, you know, this seminar? Do I, do I take these classes online? And, um, you know, the simple thing, the thing that we can rest in and not that any of those things are bad, but none of those things are the answer. And, and the simple thing that we do is we, 
Jesus said, follow me, period, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the biblical concept for all of us is to abide in Jesus. I love it. I think that'd make a great tattoo. Abide, maybe like on, yeah. Um, but to abide in Jesus, and then, and then God just naturally uh, uh, um, will make it. You know, listen, listen, somebody be encouraged. And I'm just going to set myself up so I don't fail, or you guys don't fail me and I get upset. Somebody say amen when I'm done. Look, in, in, Rev, in, in Romans chapter 11, the Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Amen, amen. amen. God, if God's called you and God's gifted you, you can't miss it. It's irrevocable. You don't got to, you don't got to worry about it because listen, I hope that encourages you because I'm with you. We as Christians, we worry about that stuff. We get bummed out. We get nervous. Oh, I want to do this for God, but I, you know, am I going in the right direction? Am I, am I doing the right things? Am I going to miss the call of God? Is, am I going to like take the wrong class and God wanted me to be teaching over here and instead I'm, I'm sweeping over here. Or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and normally, we, naturally, we feel that way. Here's what we can rest in. The recipe that God lays out for your life is John 15, abide in Jesus. What does abide mean? Simply, quickly. Jesus said there's a branch and there's, uh, and there's a vine, I'm sorry, and a branch. And, and upon the branch grows the grapes. And, and, and the grapes is the result. That's the fruit. That's, that's what God's called you to do in your life is bear fruit. And then there's, there's this relationship where the branch connects to the vine. And wherever that spot is, right here where that connection happens, that knuckle, where the, where the branch, where the vine becomes a branch and bears fruit, that's the abide. That's to remain in. That's to, to stay close to. And so Jesus just said, if you abide, if you remain in, if you stay close to me, naturally, I will make you fishermen. I will, I will put fruit on your vine. And we can all rest in just abiding in God and the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And, and so we don't, you, we don't have to worry. We just, we just abide. And then it says, um, and he said to them, follow me um, again, and I will make you fishers of men. And then going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he, somebody he did what? He did what? How far can I take that? He, he, you know, but thanks for asking. He called them. And, and that's what I want to talk to you guys about was God's call upon these gentlemen. And, and we already have Peter and Andrew who immediately left their nets and followed Jesus in a, you know, radical move of, of, of trusting God and stepping out in faith. And, um, and, 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 and God's call upon your life. Now, first, James and John, as you guys know, these two brothers, Jesus, Jesus later is going to nickname these two guys, what? Sons of thunder. These are the sons of thunder. What's cool is that the Bible tells us that Jesus said it in jest. Like, you know, like what's cool to me is that among the 12 guys hanging out, like they were normal guys. Like, I don't see how you could put 12 guys together for three years and, and they don't make fun of each other. They don't have some fun. They don't tell jokes. They don't laugh. And, and it's cool that we get this little thing where Jesus is like, thunder and thunder had some kids. And that was you two sons of thunder. Like, you two knuckleheads. You know, John was the one. Remember John and James. And the reason why Jesus called them the son of thunder is because when they first went out and started preaching, the people said, ah, no, we don't want nothing to do with that. And John said, Jesus, call down fire from heaven and burn them up and kill them all. 
and we'll get some s'mores and we'll roast it over the fire, you know. And Jesus is like, calm down, you son of thunder. It's nothing worked that way. This is the same John. This is the apostle John. This is the one who wrote the gospel of John, the one who wrote first, second and third John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation. He becomes right. He is because he tells us the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he becomes the disciple of love. And John really, by the end of his life, John's not wanting to call fire down from heaven and kill people. He just says, oh, love one another. Like you read the, you read the epistle of John and it's like, you read, oh, love one another. And then you turn the page and you're like, love one another, love one another. You're like, what am I doing? Am I not turning the page? No, he just keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And he becomes the apostle of love. So Jesus calls him and he left his nets. Now, for me, when God called me, God called me out of Acts um, 16.10. And, you know, it's interesting that I was alone in my room when God, when God spoke to me. And there, there's, there's times. Do you guys have those, like, maybe something I, I call them, Chuck used to call them, and I guess that's where I got it, um, nuggets, golden nuggets. There, there are things in your life that God has given you that nobody can take away. Things that God has spoken to you in, in a real supernatural way, whether, whether he spoke to you through his word, whether he spoke something that was just so clear to your life, that you know that you know that you know it was God speaking to you. Anybody have those? Amen? A couple of us? If you don't, let's get them. I don't know how you manufacture them, though. You could try, like, oh, I don't know. Try something. But, um, but, but God, when God called me and God spoke to me, um, it was out of Acts 16. It was the Holy Spirit quickened it. And it wasn't even so much in context of what was happening right here. But it was the call of God that, that to this day that God gave me. And in the second half of Acts 16.10, and the Holy Spirit just jumped it off the page. It said, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And I knew that God was calling me to preach the gospel. And then a few years later, I had someone lay hands on me and confirm a prophecy. And, and, he, and just was the Holy Spirit. And he put his hand on my chest. And he said, what has God spoke to you? What has God told you? And I began to cry. And I was like, God told me to preach the gospel. And he said, you know, he confirmed it in prophecy. And he prayed for me and spoke over me. And, <clears throat> you know, and, and the amazing thing about God's call, you know, what if God came to Peter and he said, hey, Pete, come here, man. I, I want you to follow me. You're going to go through some terrible, terrible heart wrench and bitterness, man. Your heart's going to rip out of your chest when you deny me. It's going to get hard. You're going to get beat, thrown in prison. Uh, eventually, they're going to hate you so bad that they're going to murder you. And, and because you don't want to be die the same way that I did, you're going to request that you be crucified upside down. And, uh, but come and follow me. Oh, hey, and John, yeah, you, not much better. Uh, you will eventually die from old age. That's good news. But, you know, before that, your life's going to be they're going to try to murder you, but because I'm going to save you, they're going to dip you in oil and, and it's not going to work. And then they're going to exile you all by yourself onto this crappy island with a bunch of pigeons and, you know, just dirty, nasty island. And you're going to live on that island by yourself um, on the island of Patmos. But, but come and follow me. And, and, and God doesn't, you know, necessarily. Jesus said in the gospel of John, he said, I have many things to tell you, but you're not yet able to handle it. And sometimes in our life, you know, we step out. It's a, it's a step of faith of, of just believing that God's, gonna, God's got it. God's going to do it. And in the call of God, will it be difficult? Most definitely. Will you face trials? Will I face trials? For sure. Will I suffer heartache? Most definitely. But at least will I have mountaintop experiences and victories? For sure. Will I ever be alone? Never, not a chance. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
and we'll, and God will be with us through all, all, all the, the calls of God. So the last, um, few minutes you guys here just kind of unpacking this this call of god i was i was looking at verses in the bible where where jesus calls people verse 22 of matthew let's turn back there really quick in chapter four and it says um and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him so i like that in in john and um james's case god also mentions the bible also records that they they left their father now for these guys again they left everything, you guys. They, they left family. This, for, for John and James, this was a family business. They were set to inherit this business. And I'm sure they've been like, follow you. The business is good here. We know catching and selling fish. Our grandpa's grandpa did it. Now my dad does it. Now I'm doing it. I'm training my kids to do it. And this is our family business. We know it. It's comfortable. They left their father. They left their businesses. They left their nets right where they were. And they, they followed and responded to the call of God. Difficult. But again, if, if we have the, the um, 2020 and we could see hindsight, and the, the point of following somebody is that we have to trust them. We have to know that who we're following is, is, is um, going to have our best interests at hand. The person that we're following is going to take care of us. The person that we're following is not going to lead us astray down a, down a bad road. And, and I don't think, again, like these guys had the luxury of that, but you and I don't have that excuse. You can follow Jesus, and I want to show you, and I, and, I, and I wanted to pick out just some verses in the New Testament where it has this concept where Jesus is calling somebody to follow him. And, and what you find if you, if you do that, you, there's so many, there's so many, 30, 40, 50 different verses of, of these situations in the Bible where Jesus is calling somebody. So in order to narrow it down, what I did was I just picked the seven I am statements of, God, of, of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So some of you may know, some of you may not. But in the Gospel of John, it, there's seven great I am statements where Jesus says, I am. Ego a me. He says that I am that I am. The same name that God spoke to, to Moses in the burning bush when Moses said, when I get to Pharaoh, who should I tell him sent me? Who are you, God? What's your name? And God said, I am. And then Jesus takes that concept from the burning bush and through the gospel of John, he gives us seven great I am statements that Jesus is. Now listen to the calling of these just through these seven I am statements and we'll close with this um, and and let it encourage you. Now, as I read them, you you guys got to get excited, okay? And and an amen won't hurt. But listen, if... um, if it's too much, if, if I'm laying it on just too thick and you're already just too excited about all the awesomeness that's about to come, you can tell me to stop. Like, I'll chill out. Like, if, if it's just overflowing, it's coming out your ears and you're like, I can't handle anymore. It's so good. Then I, I'll get it, right? We'll, 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 we'll lay off you for a little bit. But, but listen to this. And I want you to be encouraged by the call of God and the call of Jesus to say this. You can trust Jesus. You can absolutely trust Jesus in your life. Look at what he promises you. The first I am statement is it found in John six thirty five, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me or follows me, the idea come to me, follow me as we go through, you'll see there, that's the, what, we're, what we're playing off of. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Anybody want to never hunger and never thirst that Jesus is going to meet all your needs? And then the next I am statement is in John chapter 8, beginning in verse number 12. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Listen, he who follows me 
shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Anybody want those two promises together? Never hungry, never thirsty, never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen. Oh, he's just starting. He's just warming up. And then in chapter 9 or chapter 10 in the third I am statement of Jesus in the gospel of John, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pastures. Who wants to be saved? Who wants to go in and out and find pastures? Isn't that the point of, you know, the sheep is to find pastures. And then he goes on and he says, um, in verse 11, we get the fourth I am statement in the same chapter. Um, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, the interesting thing about, about Islam is that in Islam, they call you to sacrifice your sons to Allah, but God, but Yahweh, he sacrificed his son for you. And, and then we go on in the I am. Well, let's, let's just get one kind of tidbit. I know I don't know if you guys can handle it, but look in the same chapter in 10. This isn't one of the I am's. This is just an extra for fun. In verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. The father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I and my father are one. And then the next I am statement of Jesus. Amen. Don't don't be afraid to amen up in her. Verse 25 of John 11 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Even if you die, you will live. And whoever lives and believes in me, come on, shall never die. Who wants to follow Jesus? Come on. He makes it too easy, you guys. And then verse four, or chapter 14, this is one we should all know. The sixth of the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And then the last one, probably my favorite, John 15, four and five. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Who wants to bear much fruit? Amen. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, if you haven't had enough already, let me just throw two more at you for fun. Jesus said in John seven thirty eight, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will gush torrents of living water. Promise of God over your life. Not little trickles, but would gush torrents of living water out of your life if you follow Jesus. Anybody want some torrents of living water to come flowing out of their life? Amen. Right. And then last one in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden and I'll do what? And I will give you rest. Anybody need rest up in her? You're like, I need rest from this sermon. <laughs> Let's stand. You can absolutely trust Jesus. Let's have the worship team. Come on up. You can absolutely trust Jesus with your life, with every part of your life. We're going to sing this last song as we close today. And we want to give everybody in here an opportunity to, to follow Jesus because that's the call from, from Matthew chapter four is come and follow me. They immediately left their nets and they followed Jesus. What is it in your life that God's calling you to leave to follow him? And, and if you're not a believer in here today, you have an opportunity to become a believer. And, and for you, the repentance today is a repentance unto salvation. And so I want to pray a prayer for you. And I want to lead us as a church. I'm going to ask the whole church to pray out loud a prayer of, of repentance, of salvation.
And if there's somebody in here today who's praying this for the first time, God knows your heart and God hears you. And today you will become born again. And then we're going to be up front. And as we sing this last song, we invite you to come and just receive prayer. It's something as a church family. It's a culture that we'd like to create everybody to be comfortable and to be and use the, the opportunity that we have to love one another. I encouraged you guys last week. Um, ben will be up to pray for folks. Lydia and I will be up to pray for folks. But you guys can minister across the aisles as we sing this last song. If God puts it on your heart to go pray for one of your brothers, walk across the aisle somewhere and put an arm around somebody and say, can I pray for you? And, and just pray for them. And, and allow God to move as we sing this last song. And again, I want us to pray as a church because maybe there's somebody in here today who's not a born-again believer and doesn't know if they're a Christian. I want to give you an opportunity to do that together. So as a church family, will we pray this prayer out loud together? And God hears those that are praying it. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I repent. And I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus died and rose again the third day. And I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your promises. I can trust in you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you guys.